phone vibrates right by my ear. I'm sort of shocked out of my sleep. He said, if I send you briefs, can you turn them around? Thought, wow, you know, this is incredible. Yeah, let's do it. Everybody has this path put in front of them, right? That leads off to university and a job that goes beyond. And I was able to have option B, which was, you know, I'm kind of earning more than I would as a grad. If we had done a few of those things, our chance of success would have been, you know, vastly different. And something that has happened over the last many years is there's been a lot of capital in the markets and we've seen some huge fundraisers, huge valuations. What that has done is that has forgiven the fundamentals. We are in a new era now and so what are those basic fundamentals, what are the strategies and tragedies that we can learn from to build better businesses? Timbo today is the only place you can go in the UK get a complete picture of your purchasing power. For my next guest, we have something a little bit different. I'm pleased to welcome the CTO of PropTech Scale-Up, Tembo, Jeff Wright. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're one of the perfect guests for strategy and tragedy because you actually had a fantastic strategy when you were about 13 years old. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the title of the podcast certainly spoke to me, that's for sure. <laughs> so tell us about this story, about your, your strategy that got you your first win at 13 years old? So I started out pretty young making websites. I think I made my first website when I was maybe 12 on PowerPoint. And I don't know if you know, but you can't get a PowerPoint website up on the internet for people to use. And so um, before long, I was kind of the guy who knew his way around, around WordPress. And uh, I had grown this side project. I mean, I was still at school. I can't remember what year I was in, um, but I was up late typically working on something that somebody had asked me to do that week. I used to do maybe like one website every two weeks. And uh, I think it must have been two, three in the morning, Saturday night, typical teenager up, you know, like an hour. And uh, I thought, do you know what? I need an address. I need to make this thing look serious. I'm up playing against the big web design players out there. At uh, like 13 years old. I, I, do you know, it was maybe at this point, I was maybe like 14. And okay, so 14, 14 not 13, and you were right. like, I've got to go up against the big web designers, is how you just phrased it. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know, it's funny, because if you sort of step back a bit, I always knew that I wanted to build businesses and, and build products, right? And of course, the sort of barrier to entry is you need a website. And more than once, I would Google web designer, and I would work my way from top to bottom, basically saying, hi. I've got an idea for a business, but look, I need a really simple website. What can I do? Um, and they would say, okay, You'd, some of them would realize I was clearly a kid and kind of palm me off and get me off the phone. And, you know, some would say, look, it starts at five grand. And I'd think, wow. oh, wow, you know, that's it. Dreams are scuppered. Um, until one day I kind of decided I was going to do it myself. And so in my head, I had, these are the guys I'm up against. And I knew I was small fry, but of course you have big aspirations as a kid, don't you? You, know, you think you want to play up with the big boys. And so um, I went onto Google and I typed, you know, uh, I don't know if I knew what it was at this point, but there was a thing called virtual addresses. People who own buildings, it's super popular now. If you own a building, um, you can basically sell access or use of your address for a monthly fee. Um, and you basically are a mail sorting office, right? And I was on there looking around. It was oneoffice.com. Remember the guy? Uh, great guy. Uh, and, and it was top of Google. And this website was just so bad. And I remember last thing before I went to sleep, I dropped this guy an email, as I know now, 
your website is terrible. You know, how on earth are you top of Google? Um, I was looking for an address. I couldn't quite work it out. And that was kind of that. I don't even know what I expected off the back of this. Um, Can I just pause you here for a second? Sorry to interrupt, but I, first, I'm a visual person. So I, wanna, I want you to paint a picture in my head of how bad this website it, looks. Like, what kind of era are we talking? Why? It, this was, this was, I mean, it was black background. There was no cohesiveness to the fonts. You know, the logo was just kind of slapped up there. Um, but he had a brilliant address. And so people were... People were happy to use this service in spite of how bad this branding and this website was because they just wanted that value that was sitting at the right. end. They wanted that dress. Right. Um, and I mean, look, it was, listen, at that point, I, I was no brilliant web designer. And if it was bad enough for me to say your website's terrible, I think that's definitely saying something. Um, and I went to sleep uh, and my phone vibrated. Uh, I used to put it on the window ledge before I went to sleep and it was right by my head. And I remember, of course, you know, late night, I'm thinking I'm just going to lay in and I'll sleep this off until kind of 12 o'clock. Phone vibrates right by my ear. I'm sort of shocked out of my sleep. And I answer this phone and there's the guy. Hi, Jeff, it's Ravi. Um, you sent me a, a cheeky message last night, you know. Um, and actually, it transpired that he, of course, I mean, it makes total sense now, had a lot of people come to him saying, I need an address for this new business. But... I need a website, you know, my problem, you know, just through essentially a different channel. And um, I said, okay. Uh, and he said, if I send you briefs, can you turn them around? And I thought, wow, you know, this is incredible. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and that really kicked it off. You yeah, know, that went it? from a website every couple of weeks to, I was doing one or two a week. Wow. Um, I was doing one or two a week. Um, and this is from, you know, you upped your volume of work by sending out this one cheeky message. It, it was one It was one cheeky message, yeah. <laughs> but you weren't um, even sure, you know, so we call it, you know, strategy with the show, but, you know, you were just so appalled by how awful <laughs> this website looked that you were like, I need to reach out to this poor sod. And actually, this is one of those instances where, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Like you totally. put yourself out there and you... I guess you couldn't have guessed how good that could have worked out for you. Right? That's right. You know, it put me it put me on the path that has led me to where I am now. No doubt Amazing. about that. You know, wow. I was able to uh, look at while I was at school. You know, I had route A, stay at school, study, ASs, A levels. You know, everybody has this path put in front of them, right? That leads off to university mm. and a job that goes beyond. Um, and I was able to have option b which was you know i'm kind of earning more than i would as a grad um wow. you know that was a couple of years later um do i you know that that decision of what do i want to do i de-risked it mm. you know but because of that but you know you say that the strategy you know i would definitely say i don't think i maybe learned from that as much as i should because i think you know this was pre-influencer Right. You know, I I for a long time sat behind a computer screen, you know, and actually, I think if I had thought back to, you know, you've got to be in it, you've got to be out there. I think, yeah, maybe a few years after that and a few opportunities would have maybe played uh, slightly differently. But yeah. And it's a lesson. It's an observation I've made, you know, now in Tembo land, um, you know, markets are built on this outward communication, you can't sit behind a computer screen. As you know, a software engineer, mm. it's kind of your natural state. Mm. Um, you can't do that. 
you know, you have to be out there building those connections, mm. networking, partnering. Um, it's a critical, there, it's you? a critical part of the process and, and the recipe today. Yeah. So let's go back to without we'll get into Tembo and everything, which I can't wait to hear more about. But just sticking with the school days for a minute, you touch really interestingly on that standard path that's put in front of everyone, right? Like you do yeah. A levels, totally. university, and everything else. What happened with you? You didn't pursue that standard traditional did, route, did you? I, I didn't know. I mean, I was never a particularly good student. I think, you know, I don't, I think you'd struggle to find a teacher that kind of told you otherwise. Um, you know, I was never particularly engaged. Um, and I was always just happy sitting in front of a computer. And it was always, it was always part of the plan. I think I went to a few universities, you know, I, I thought that I, I would go and have that life and I would end up in some technology-based job, right? It was a natural part for me. Um, but there was, I do remember this moment, you know, because I was building things, you know, and I was, I was, I was partnered with a couple of guys on the web and we'd work on these, these ideas. But I remember there was this one moment, it's so silly, you know, when I think back, uh, Moo.com were a really hot startup about mm. this time. You yeah, know? I remember actually. Um, they were one of the first, I think they were based not far around here. Yeah. Um, and I was, I think I was at my dad's sitting on my laptop and I was flicking through their Flickr actually. And I hit this photo. <laughs> so nostalgic. I know, right? I know, <laughs> I know, so OG. And I was looking at this photo and they were sat around a table. There must've been 10 laptops or Macs, you know, um, I still love a Mac, you know, but back then it was all PCs, right? You know, not every person had a Mac sitting on their desk. Um, and I was, you know, still virtually a kid. Um, and I basically made in that moment, you know, the decision that that was the life I wanted. I wanted to pursue that and go into, you know, the startup, wow. the startup land. Um, I, I have... didn't... Go on, sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, I don't even think I really knew what it entailed. I just, this, this vision... You know, um, mm. this picture mm. I built up in my head mm. uh, was something I, I wanted to, to go after. Yeah, it just kind of clicked. Yeah, no, what I was going to say before was I'm, I really love the specificity of what you recount here from the early memory of being a 14-year-old kid messaging this guy, his website, what it looked like. You, you said Ravi, even if that yeah. was his real name. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then even with this, you know, flicking through... Uh, my brain works in a similar way, so I'm glad I'm not the only one. But, you know, flicking through a flicker and seeing that one particular mm. image that stood out to you. And obviously there was enough in there to just convey the vibe. Right. And I guess Absolutely, it was yeah. that intangible kind of startup feeling, that sense of like a group around a desk with a few laptops, obviously working away at something, building something. You've got the Moo.com brand around it as well. So you've got that excitement. Is that is that a correct interpretation of what you described there? Or? For sure, yeah. And I mean, look, there's no doubt that the gadgets, you know, those Macs sitting around the table, you know, I grew up in, you know, the 90s and every, and that was the height. I was only thinking about this since we spoke actually last week, you know, it was the height of um, 90s action movies, you know, it was when technology was still big enough to be wheeled into rooms and people had these visions of what future tech would look like. And, you know, they there's a movie under siege and they they hijack this train and the tech guy comes in and he wheels all this big hardware. They're going to hack some satellite. And, you know, I from a young age, I always just loved that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I love that stuff. And so, yeah, you know, between the building things and this just general love for technology and 
uh, it, it pulled me, yeah, it just pulled me in that direction. Amazing. Oh, I love that. I can feel, feel the energy. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's so good. So you didn't go down that traditional path. What did your parents react like when um, you, what age were you when you dropped out or what level of school? Uh, ASs. Okay. Did you complete your AS levels or was it around I that time? I don't know. And it's funny <laughs> okay. because I don't really remember it. It's yeah. all very blurry. Right. But, you know, you mentioned, uh, and I will answer the question, but you mentioned that standard path. You know, uh, schools are incentivized, right, on how many people they get into uni and the grades they get to get into uni. When, if you're a parent sitting there looking at where you're going to send your kid for senior school, that's what they're looking at. And there was a round of us. You know, I was a slightly different uh, case because... Um, I, because I think teachers knew what was going on, but they basically took the naughty kids that had, that had passed the threshold of 5A to C passes, I think was what you needed. Mm. Then you had to be given a place to stick around. Wow. Now, of course, there's a chance you're going to ruin their ratings. And so, um, so yeah, so they basically chopped us. Uh, that was kind of the, I don't want to call it the game, but that was their incentive. Mm. Um, and they basically dragged me in one day and said, Jeff, you're not doing any of the work. You know, uh, why not? And I kind of suppose at that moment thought I could have my cake and eat it too. I'll stay <laughs> at school. I'll just keep doing this thing on the side. Again, kind of de-risk my, my decision. Um, uh, what are, why aren't you doing it? And I was like, well, you know, I've got this business I'm running. It's going really well. They said, well, you need to do the work. Are you going to do it? And I think, you know, typical insolent teenager. I was like, don't need to do the work and they said well that's it then this is it you know you, you you're done and I remember walking out uh, feeling probably quite relieved uh and I don't think I told my dad my parents split up I don't think I told my dad for a couple of weeks uh -huh. this was I remember it was December because I was with my uh then secondary school girlfriend I think we were walking around Selfridges and uh my phone rings and it was my dad and I think he must have spoken to my mum and he was absolutely fuming. Uh, my mum knew, you know, what I was doing and uh, I don't want to say, it sounds a bit fluffy, right, what, what my heart was in and what I could do and achieve, typical mum, right? Um, and my dad was like, no, you know, uh, get yourself into a position to go out and build a successful career. And, um, and so I think I went back. Wow. I think I went back to school for like two weeks um, and... I think we all realised then actually, no, this just isn't going to work. Wow. Um, he has since, he has since, uh, I, I don't want to say forgiven me, it wasn't that sure. bad. But um, yeah, I think uh, typical parent, right? Uh, worried, yeah, worried that I'd be a bit lost. And I think when he saw that I wasn't lost, um, he was happy. And actually that incidentally was, I don't know if we'll get onto it, but I joined a pretty cool startup that was in his space mm. he was in the telecoms world and I joined a startup called Blick uh, which is a whole story in a podcast in itself but um, I joined that as the uh, 11th man in in the UK and uh, I remember that was the moment he was like okay mm. I think I think I think he's got this worked out funny there was enough familiarity because it was in the same space that he was like okay I'll uh, you know I'll accept it um, how do you remember how it felt for you as, a, I guess, 15 at this sort of time to be, <clears throat> I guess, one of the only kids in your class to drop out at this point and be an, an entrepreneur and so, so, doing your own thing at this point? You must be like the coolest kid in the year, right? <laughs> I didn't feel like it. I mean, I think I was probably, <laughs> when did you do ASs? I must have been 16 right. at this point. Um, you know, I... 
I remember it feeling quite good that I was one of the only ones that hadn't been kicked out because they had no, you know, I mean, it was, you know, lots of naughty kids and, you know, people who just aren't really paying. I was distracted, you know, uh, I had something else that I was working on. Mm. Um, it, but it felt good. It felt good to be free. It felt good to be, I mean, it feels so good, right, to be able to wake up and do what you want every day. And when I say do what you want every day, I mean, I don't mean like Saturday morning vibes, right? You know, wake up, cup of tea, put Netflix on and have an hour to yourself, you know, to wake up and to be able to pursue something that you want to pursue mm. is a really incredible feeling. And that's why, you know, I feel that in the days and I wake up on the weekends and I still pursue, you know, sort of things I'm curious in. And it's because that is, that's the feeling I'm chasing. I do it on holiday, you know, mm. much to my wife's annoyance, you know, I'll <laughs> pop over my, open my laptop and be like, right, this week I am going to suss out thing. And you're in such a tiny minority of people who discovered that feeling of freedom but again not freedom just kind of sticking on Netflix and doing whatever you feel like but the freedom of pursuing your passion at such a young age how did it I'm really curious how did it then feel for you because you did throughout your career you've had roles where you've been in standard employment mm -hmm. you've had you know normal jobs as it were how did it feel kind of going into those sort of roles after having the taste of entrepreneurship at 14 15 years old I think um you know, I always made sure I worked in the right places. You know, I always, it was always, there was always education. There was always something to learn. There was something I didn't have that I was going into this place to pick up, to stick that feather in my cap, to make me better the next time I went round, right? Um, you know, I, I worked for an agency. Uh, I met a guy at the mobile network I'd worked at, the startup Blick I mentioned, and I went and spent some time uh, afterwards when that imploded, working in this agency with this guy as the kind of tech and strategy person, um, which was good fun. And I realized then, uh, I think there was some overlap with something else I was kind of working on with a friend. And I realized that I needed to learn to be a back-end software developer. It was great on the front end, but I, if I wanted to be able to uh, realize these big ideas that I had, I had to specialize on, you know, the 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 more complex application stuff that you can do. And so I left there and I took a, a pay cut, a pretty hefty pay cut mm. to just go junior backend software engineer, you know, and that was a good opportunity when I start up based actually not terribly far from here. Mm. Um, and so there was always something in it. I mean, there's no, there's no denying that it was tough, mm. you know, it meant the evening and weekend curiosity chasing, you know, definitely went up a notch. Um, but you know, you've got to do these things. I think I spent the, the middle part, let's say the best part of, I mean, it felt like six or seven years working on big ideas. Um, and they didn't realize into financial success, financial freedom. And so you've got to put cash in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to live a normal life. Um, and so employment, you know, you, you got to have a job, right? You know, it, it, it paid the bills. It helped me build, buy my flat and and have some normal milestones and normal checkpoints yeah. in life because, yeah, I didn't necessarily have that. At least for chunks of time in your career anyway. And this is genuinely what makes you such an interesting guest because your journey, the way I interpret your roles in employment 
I, from the outside looking in, I see them as based on what you've just described there, as these learning opportunities and these almost like higher education courses, yeah. particularly with the whole back end development that mm -hmm. you that you wanted to brush up your skills on, but you got paid for it in the meantime. In short, yeah, you took a pay sure. cut and you know it was definitely um a reduction in salary that you'd been used to. But that that's the way I kind of see it. You know, you learn, you constantly develop, you're getting paid for it in the meantime. And it's almost like I, I just I really love that you didn't go through the standard steps of school, secondary, A level, university, employment. Mm -hmm. It was out like entrepreneurialism, starting your own ventures, going into employment, using those as learning opportunities. So I think this is where it's really great to share with our listeners, like, you know, the squiggly careers, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think there are more, more and more of them that are happening, right? I think the, you know, we've got some incredible creators, you know, uh, the, this whole industry didn't exist. You know, YouTube mm. wasn't really a thing. And I think more and more people will be able to find some path into the work they love mm. uh, before hitting uni. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's something I, it's something I'm really proud of. Mm. Right. Um, I'm really, I'm really proud of carving my own path and more and more people, I think, you know, my cousin, uh, my brother even, um, you know, he dropped out, he's in an apprenticeship and he's landed on his feet. I think the path that maybe was a little less trodden um, back then is, yeah, more and more people. And I treading. do think it is important to share these sorts of stories because as much as it is becoming more commonplace, people are accepting different entries into their careers, it's still, for many people, I can imagine, like it's it still takes quite a bit of bravery, you know, especially if you've got parents like your dad, you know, is fuming at for sure, calling yeah. you up in Selfridges. Absolutely. It's like, it not even just on your own, it's a bit of like, oh, going against the norms, but you've got peer pressure, your friends, your set, your social circles, whatever your parents are like, you've got all of those other influences and layers around it. So again, all the more reason to share these sort of interesting stories. So let's recap then. So sure. you um, sent a cheeky message when you were a teenager <laughs> that launched your entrepreneurial career. So in making websites, you then set off doing your own things and you mentioned they they failed and then you went into entrepreneurship, oh, sorry, into employment. Yeah. Is there anything interesting there on the failed ventures? I think so. I mean, you did mention you made every mistake possible with one of them, right? That's, that's right. Me and, a, <laughs> me and a friend set up a site called Where to Look. It was a, it was a fashion search engine. Um, what year was this? Do you remember? Oh, no. <laughs> that year. <laughs> yeah, God, such a blur. And uh, I reckon, I think my friend was at uni. So uh, I must have been sort of 20, 21. And um, we, we wanted to build a search engine that aggregated, in the end, it was 175, um, 175 stores. Um, I can't remember. I mean, this thing had hundreds of thousands of products on it. But, you know, it was... I don't want to say the typical founder story, but, you know, here's for the weekend while he was at uni. Oh, do you know, I was looking for a thing the other day and it was quite difficult. You know, uh, wouldn't it be cool if you could create this thing? And before you know it, we're photoshopping it. Like I say, that was my kind of tool of choice sort of at the time. Um, photoshopping this thing out. Um, and we decided, right, that's it. Let's commit. Let's build this thing. He was finishing uni. Um, let's spend some time on it. And... We went into, uh, we went out and found an offshorer. You know, we found an offshore developer, um, spec this thing out. And 
it was it was pretty painful. Um, actually, it was it must have been before I'd spent the time learning to be a back end dev because I just didn't have that skill. And it was actually one of the big drivers towards uh, doing that. Mm. And so, like to never make that mistake again to learn it yourself. Yeah, kind of the yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I felt like I had this pile of rocks that were sitting next to me, and I just needed to move them from here to there. You know, we'd we'd have this list, this this moving list with the team, and maybe it felt like there wasn't enough movement. And you know, for these guys, I totally get it, right? You know, you for us, we're chomping at the bit. We've got this opportunity. We think we want to to seize on, and the you know the guys are turning up. They're doing their day's work, and and that's fine, right? You know, and I think we realized that we were up against these really hot teams out in the US, you know, that had raised some cash. And, you know, this was kind of a different world for us at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd raised some cash. They had designers and developers. And and so um, we made the call. We're going to do it ourselves. And I think, I think, so problem number one, I think offshoring a deeply, what I'll call a deeply technical product, right? You know, if you want to, to offshore and build quite a simple prototype or, you know, like a something that already exists in the market, I think it kind of makes sense. You can do it. It might be a bit more painful. I hear lots of really positive experiences. Um, but then problem two, I think, was we, we felt like we were competing with these big guys on product terms and we just couldn't we were two guys you know like i say we had 175 stores you know we were competing kind of screen for screen pixel for pixel and what we weren't doing is solving that immediate problem for like a subset of users and so we spent years building this thing you know all of the problems that come with at least for two new software developers all of these problems that come with aggregating 175 stores. We had no business fixing, solving these problems for aggregating 175 stores. We should have picked six stores. We should have picked a subset of users, you know, a persona. Um, here's a girl, she's 17 to 25. She likes these 10 brands. You know, let's build something for her and let's go and find some of her. You know, let's, let's prototype this thing. Let's have a conversation. And instead we sat and we coded for two years, you know, really. I mean, don't get me wrong, I can look back on that now and think if I hadn't have done that, nothing else would have happened, right? But if we had done a few of those things, our chances of, of success would have been, you know, vastly different. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, it, the wheels, the sort of rubber hit the road with that project. Um, we launched it, we made some sales, you know, we couldn't believe it. We, I think one of our early sales we aggregated a store that uh, stocked Ugg boots. And somebody through Google landed on our site, clicked on a pair of Ugg boots and bought these Ugg boots. You know, and we made 25 pounds wow. from that affiliate transaction. And my mind was blown. You know, if you think about the, the supply chain of that product, we had the smallest part in it. And we made 25 pounds. Um, and, amazing. you know, I think, the third thing, not to pile on all of the problems, but I, I think generally we didn't really know what we were optimizing for at that point. What we should have said is, right, we've got this product. It can make money. Maybe we should go out and, and focus solely on finding some users. But instead, we went back to the product and we went back competing screen for screen. And I think that next road of let's grow this thing again could have had a material difference uh, on the outcome um yeah 
I mentioned as part of the intro to something a little bit different as the first CTO guest on the show. And knowing what I do know of you, you mentioned you're a self-confessed product guy, you're a builder, you're a developer, and of course you've got this entrepreneurial streak as well. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love those lessons that you learned from that first venture. And I think more of the pure entrepreneurs, whatever they are, but I, I've encountered so many founders who just have endless ideas. Yeah. And it's great to have that vision and come up with the stuff, but actually focusing on narrowing down what are the priorities, who are we building for, how does this apply to a real world market, how are we going to (laughs) monetize? And then, of course, all of the operational product side of it, you know, the whole offshore developers, everything else. There's so many great takeaways from that, which I think still apply today for anyone listening. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, they're they're fundamentals, right? I I know I spent... I spent a lot of time looking around for, you know, like a silver bullet, you know, you're reading, it's so easy to get sucked into people's successes and stuff, right, online. And, you know, being, we were self-taught coders, but we were also kind of self-taught entrepreneurs. And we were trying to look for the wisdom of those that kind of gone before us. And, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really exist because it has to be relevant to where you are, you know, in the process, right? You know, um, and, the reality is it always comes back to those basics. Mm. You know, it always comes back to those basics. Mm. I think something that has happened over the last, as a bit of an aside, you know, the last many years is there's been a lot of capital in the markets and we've seen some crazy startups grow, right? You know, huge fundraisers, huge valuations. What that has done is that has forgiven the fundamentals. And of course it's swung the other way. You know, the capital has, has, come out of the market and and there is a return to basics and and to fundamentals um you know and actually the the sort of mistakes you, you mentioned uh, i think the 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 fundamental lesson there and it's something i'm lucky to have with tembo now is you know you you should have a team that complements you right you know we've my co-founder uh, eddie is chief product officer you know it's him who guides what we build you know, Richard, CEO, has uh, an accountancy background. And so his mind is the business, you know, really. And and I think we are together those kind of guardrails that that keep us true to those fundamentals mm. and keep us kind of heading in, yeah. in the right direction. Fantastic. Some great takeaways there. And I completely agree with everything you described. Um, that is definitely what you speak about in terms of the capital and all the craziness that's gone on in startup land at the moment is again very much core to the podcast you know it's very much um, we are in a new era now and so what are those basic fundamentals what are the strategies and tragedies that we can learn from to build better businesses so nice segue into modern day with tembo for any listeners who aren't already aware of what tembo is i mentioned it's a prop tech scale up but if you can describe what what Tembo actually is for our listeners. That's right, yeah. So so Tembo is a tool that is built to help people find out how we say their true uh, buying budget, right? You know, we are in a position at the moment where house prices are going, as we know, up and to the right, um, and salaries are staying pretty stagnant. It's never been harder than it has now to get on the property ladder. And, you know, we observe that there, I mean... <laughs> To go, to go back a bit, right? We created a solution to the problem that we called a deposit boost. 
a deposit boost was a way where we could bring family into the transaction. So you went online, you told us a little bit about you, a little bit about your earnings, you know, and the place you wanted to buy. And then you tell us about your family. So mum and dad, nan and granddad, um, you know, this is how much their house is. This is how much equity they had and in their property. And we would work out how we could take something out of a family's asset and boost your budget, right? That was our solution to the problem of let's get you on the property ladder. Right. And, and that was the prototype, that was the MVP, and that was the thing that kind of rubber hit the road with. Um, and we ran that, I can't remember for, for how long with that single product. And of course, what happened is a space started to emerge. You know, lots of people realized that this was a really important problem mm. to solve, right? Mm. You know, we spoke about with education, you know, that, that path that was put in front of you from school to university to job. Well, of course, the next step that is often after that is buy your own home, right? You know, have something that is yours. And of course, what comes after that, you know, kind of comes after that. And, um, and so people knew that this was a really important problem. And many solutions to this problem started to emerge. There were other schemes, you know, banks and lenders started to think about how they could tweak their criteria to, to help people get on the ladder. And so we organically became an aggregator of all of these schemes, you know. I mean, it didn't happen quite so drastically. I would say we spent, we still spend a lot of time looking at our data. And there was a moment where we had just the deposit boost that, we realized that a lot of people aren't actually failing, failing on deposit. What they need is help with income. And we could just see that in our stats and in our, in our MI. And we MVP'd out, you know, a specific product. I can remember how I implemented it, you know, with, with my tech angle. We'd had this quite nicely developed product that was relatively mature. And I just shoehorned in this okay, if they've failed on this, just show them this page. Um, it wasn't properly built. We hadn't spent much time thinking about it, but let's just get this thing out. And we validated pretty quickly that this was super important. And so deposit boost and income boost was born. And that was our suite of, uh, of, of products. And, you know, I'd say there was maybe another year and a half between then where we realized that those criteria gaps that we could spot in the data, that there were other products um, that we could introduce. And so Tembo today is the only place you can go in the UK, get a complete picture of your purchasing power. You know, if you go to a typical lender or a typical mortgage broker, um, you'll, see, you'll see a couple of schemes. I think we've got 22. We've got 22 on the purchasing side, and I think finger in the air, we've got five or six on the remortgage side. Um, but we, we have been so lucky to work on a problem that, of course, is, is so impactful, but is felt so acutely to people. Um, and something I've learned is that the problem, the size of the problem forgives all. Um, you know, I think the bigger the problem you work on, the harder people will work, the more people will forgive to get to that value. And it's not something we intentionally do, you know, we don't make it hard, but it, it means that your MVP can be a little worse off. Your user experience can maybe be not quite as worked out, um, but people will jump through those hoops or they will work with you to get there. I mean, now we're very lucky, we've got a very smooth, very mature product. And I think, you know, which opens up that second stage of, okay, you've got this 
brilliant market where this problem is felt so acutely and you've got your solution, which is battle tested and super smooth. And that's when you can start to have some brilliant results as a company, you know, out the back of it. That's where it starts to get a little bit more fun. Amazing. And I love how this kind of goes all the way full circle back to the beginning and that early experience with that awful website but actually this Ravi's business yeah. let's keep going back to Absolutely. it but he was solving a problem that was hard That's enough right. that people would suffer that awful website to get through to it obviously you know I don't want to put Ravi's ugly website in the same sentence as Tembo it, because it, obviously it made him a very wealthy man I know I can tell you that much but I mean Tembo is obviously a fantastic platform like, I love everything mm. about what you guys are doing and of course so truly impactful you know these aren't just the buzzwords everyone is feeling the pinch, everyone's suffering. If you have got a mortgage, you've got the rising interest rates, this is constantly in the news as well. Just on that, I'm curious, I heard your fantastic CMO talk about how the media are actually making things worse in terms of the wider mortgage crisis, the high interest rates. What would be your, I guess, your hot take on uh, whether you agree with that statement with the media? I mean, I think the media always make everything worse anyway, but um, versus actually the, are there kind of tides that are going in the right direction that's helping Tembo further along? Do you see what I mean? So like if everyone's talking about it and it's all in the press, it's so much more front of mind for people, therefore a bigger or more pressing problem, therefore more of a need to come to Tembo is what uh, I mean. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think there is definitely a segment of people that, that exist where kind of fear-mongering doesn't help. You know, lots of people bury their head in the sand, right? You know, we hear that firsthand from uh, from people. I wouldn't say custom, you know, I don't want to not say customers, but, you know, we, we spend a lot of time trying to understand customers and our customer profile, right? Um, but I think absolutely, you know, remortgages, there are... There are subsets of people, you know, who do need more support when it, it comes to remortgaging, not getting stuck on standard variable rates and whatnot. And Tembo as a platform allows them to allows them to open up their options. We have we get so many reviews, you know, of people saying, you know, wow, I, you know, I never thought I was going to be able to do this. Um, I think actually a stat from our brilliant CMO she shared just today. You know, we had more reviews last week than we did the whole of last year. Um, you know, and so... What's that down to, Tembo success? I think... I, I think there has... There has been a need for this product. I think, you know, we all grow up and buying a mortgage is... Buying a house is tough, right? You know, getting a mortgage is, is difficult. And I think you, you don't learn about getting a mortgage until you start to get a mortgage. So we have all right. these preconceived notions. You know, we spoke to uh, uh, a fellow CTO uh, at an event not long ago, and he said, I'm not going to be able to get on the ladder. Wow. You know, I'm not gonna, I haven't got support from family. Um, I'm not going to be able to, to do it. And I said, well, look, you know, but we've got all these brilliant schemes. Um, you know, we've got zero deposit schemes. We've got, uh, you know, a private uh, a, a, shared ownership, we've got all these different mm. things. Go on and have a chat. Um, and I got a message from one of our brokers earlier saying, you know, had a chat and, you know, I think we might be able to be, you know, to be helpful. Um, and so 
it's such a huge thing to be able to help people do at the moment. But sorry, what I will say is in terms of that customer segment, you know, when the problem is felt as acutely as I can't buy a home and I will always want to buy a home. Yeah. You know, I think there is always an extreme motivation to, mm. to achieve that. And so while what has happened in the market over the last year has been happening, we haven't really felt it. Because if you're a first-time buyer and you're stuck renting, you know, you know your rent is going to go up because it's going to go up in line with interest rates. You know, you know your rent isn't really building your financial future you know it's not building financial security for you that motivation is still there and if you've never known 1.5 percent interest rates what difference does it make all you care about is what leaves your account at the end of every month and where that money goes you know and that it is building up your financial security and so it has helped us weather the storm you know i think zoopla came out just recently and said uh they've seen a drop in sales for mortgaged properties by 28%. We haven't felt it. And that is because of the tight customer profile that we've been focused on. And that is because of the size of the problem. It has forgiven not just those upfront user experience niggles and you know, us working out what the solution might look like. You know, um, it has carried all the way through to huge market turmoil. Um, and that is my biggest, biggest understanding, uh, my biggest lesson uh, from all of this. Because, you know, once you have that superpower of that connection with your, your customer, you know, it's a case of, I'm going to make it sound simple, working out how you can solve that. When I was lost in product land competing with those big startups out in San Fran that I had no business really com competing with, you know, instead of battling pixel for pixel, I should have put the problem first and said, okay, I need to help XYZ find a black dress better. And if you go at it from that direction, organically, I think good things will happen. Amazing. I'm so happy that, you know, it's it's all kind of paid off, if you like, and there are these really practical lessons that you've learned. I love what you guys are doing at Tembo, really having a true impact, again, not just the buzzwords, but actually helping people solve a real life problem. And yeah, I mean, testament to not only the fact that you guys are still around, but obviously doing incredibly well. So thank you so much for sharing your strategies and tragedies. Last question, time has flown, so already at the end. Um, we've obviously covered a few you know, highs and lows, but what's one particular tragedy that's really stuck with you, centered around the belief that often the biggest or the best lessons come from the biggest mistakes? What's, what's one of the key tragedies for you? This is, this is a toughie. Uh, I was thinking earlier as I was reviewing some material to, to 17 years, it feels like a long time. Um, you know, I feel like we've probably come really close to having something. You know, back in those days when I was building something, come so close to having something that could have become something. Um, you know, something that could have turned into the vision that we had for it. Um, how many moves were we? You know, how many, okay, you can't just brute force. It's not like if I'd have just given it one more month, you know, because you throw the same thing 
at something and you're gonna get the same thing out at the end. You know, how many chess pieces were we from, from having that? You know, uh, but I'll be glad to say, you know, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't carried that tragedy with me. You know, it's only on reflection, I think. That, Good. Um, only when I make you reopen the wounds <laughs> on this podcast. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all of these practical takeaways that I really hope will help at least some of our listeners. And thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, then you know what to do. Please hit that subscribe button and tune into the next one.